Hi, this is Ben Zorns with Ellerslie Mission Society. This message was given at the Church of Ellerslie in lovely Windsor, Colorado. This message is certain to convict, inspire, and invigorate your pursuit of the Lord Jesus Christ. We also want you to know that should you ever have any questions or comments regarding any of the ministries here at Ellerslie, we are always happy to provide answers. Simply contact us at www.ellerslie.com. We really would love to hear from you. Enjoy the message, and may your faith and love in Jesus grow larger as you listen. Let's just pray that God would do something very special in our midst. I don't want to just expect what he's done. I want to be expectant for what he will do. Father, we say thank you for what you've done, for you've proven yourself so faithful. And we know that you will always be faithful, and we know that you will be a performer of that which you've promised. And Lord, we ask that you would grow us today, that you would strengthen us, that you would mature us as the body of Christ. And Lord, you know who's here, and you know what they need, and you know what message is on tap. But I pray that you would form this message to be tailored for the hearts and the minds of those present. Father, may you receive the glory that is due your name as we exalt Jesus Christ and lift him high. It's in the precious name we pray. ready and in position. Doesn't that sound like an exciting one? It seems like I've given this message 10 times, doesn't it? Doesn't that sound like a title that I would have whipped out somewhere along in the past? I've never used this title, and this is a unique message, even though, yes, I mean, when you talk about Jesus, it's sort of hard not to sound like you're talking about Jesus the next time you talk about Jesus. And so I'm just very open and frank in the fact that that's what I talk about. And so when you are talking about the kingdom of heaven, you're constantly overlapping truths. But this is a very unique angle on something that I would have probably talked about in 10 different ways over the years, and yet it's significant and important. And as I told uh, the staff before I came in here, we were praying in the back, I feel like this message is possibly most importantly for me this morning. I don't have anyone to preach at me, and so sometimes I need to preach to myself. And all this week, God has been preaching this message to me in and through his word. And it's not because of a negligence in my part. It's because of a softness around the edges. As a leader, I have to maintain a sharpness always. And when you go through a very difficult stretch, I've just finished a very, very challenging stretch of my life. It's, sometimes you look for a spot to sit down and rest. And as I was going down, God sort of put a tack there and and God says, uh, ready and in position. I'm like, what? Well, c- couldn't I just sit down as you're telling me about being ready and in position? <clears throat> no, standing up is part of being ready and in position, Eric. And so this message is for all of us that are looking for that spot to sort of sit and to sort of set down our sword just for a moment. It's just for a moment. And then God whips out this message for us. Ready and in position. First, let's talk about readiness. So we have two different components to this message, ready and in position. So let's first take the ready part. The spiritual equation for readiness. By the way, this comes straight out of Scripture. I'm going to give you the, there's an equation, a mathematical equation. GW plus BL equals RFAAE. Yeah, amen. (laughs) I knew it. I knew it. (laughs) All right, let's unpack this this formula. Girded waist, 
which I'll have to explain for some of you. You're like, what in the world's that? Plus burning lamp equals ready for anything and everything. Okay, so GW plus BL equals RFAAE. Girded waist plus burning lamp equals ready for anything and everything. So here's, you know where that came from? This is Jesus. Let your waist be girded and your lamps burning. Now, I haven't given you the context for this yet, but it's, it's a very specific statement that Jesus is giving to his disciples. Let your waist be girded. So I don't know how many of you have a girded waistline this morning, but it's a command. Your master is making it very clear how you need to live out your life here on this earth. And he says, girded waistline. You're like, all right. Lamp burning. Uh, we don't have lamps anymore. What in the world's the equivalent? Girded waistline and burning lamp equals readiness. What was my... Ready for anything and everything. I need to get that down so I can make it very clear that this is the right formula. Ready for anything and everything. So here's our context for Jesus' statement. In Luke 12, let your waist be girded and your lamps burning, and you yourselves be like men who wait for their master. When he will return from the wedding, that when he comes, listen to this line, that when he comes and knocks, they may open to him immediately. Immediately. Blessed are those servants whom the master, when he comes, will find watching. Assuredly, I say to you that he will gird himself and have them sit down to eat and will come and serve them. And if he should come in the second watch or come in the third watch and find them so, blessed are those servants. So when it says find them so, what's it referring to? It's referring to our formula. Ready. Girded waistline and burning lamp. And even if he comes in the second or the third watch, he must find us with a girded waistline and burning lamps. So I know, I need to help you out here. What in the world are those things? Gert. You know that I have a grandmother named Gert? It's not spelled this way, but it's always sort of an awkward word for me because I have Grandma Gert. And it's just like, what? And I've never, the, the word is just sort of awkward because it gets associated with loins. And my mom used to say things like, Eric, you need to girt your loins. I'm like, I don't know what that means, but there's no way I'm doing it. I don't know about you, but does that sound like something you'd like to do this afternoon is girt your loins? No, that just sounds bad. And yet scripture makes it very clear that this is essential that we do. So just to give you some context for this, the, the waistline is sort of similar. <laughs> sort of similar to the loins. The loins are the middle. They're the, they're the inner man. They're the position of strength. It's where the oomph is going to come from. And so this is the loins, the center. It's the waist. And so in the ancient cultures, they would have robes. And so as a result, to be able to move quickly or to be able to run, to be able to jump, they first had to girt their loins. They had to ball up this robe and tie it around their waist so that they were ready to move. They were ready to go to battle. And so always, you'll you'll notice the word girt always has something to do with readiness. Because you need to girt or gird your sword on your side. You need to gird your loins for battle. You going to run? Well, you need to gird your loins first. So girt. This is what girt means. To make tight and strong by binding. 
to put on. Now, for those of you that have learned to study Scripture through a Christophonic lens, in other words, you're always looking for Jesus and him crucified, look at this word. Understand the gospel and look at this word. To make tight and strong by binding, to put on. Remember what the word baptism means? To be immersed into something. Okay? To clothe, to dress, to habit, to furnish, to equip, to surround, to encircle, to enclose, to encompass. When you are girded in something, that means you are wrapped in it. And so it's, it's a word that is used for clothing, for putting on, for putting around. But there's also another definition for it. It's sort of an accompanying definition because you are girding for a reason. It's not just that you feel like girding. You are girding for something. And that's where the second definition comes in. It's to be made ready for instant, immediate action. The Spirit of God has an assignment for you today. But are you girt and ready for it? Are you ready to run? Are you ready to say yes? Most of us are like, I'll think about that. All right, I'll set that over here with my other choices for how I'm going to spend the day, and I'll evaluate that. That's not what the master is looking for. The master is looking for you to girt your loins, to girt that waistline and have your lamp ready. Where do you want me to go, master? And that's how we live. And even if he comes in the second or the third watch, what is he going to find when, we, when he comes? I'm ready. What do you want, master? That's not how we are groomed to live out our Christian life, is it? You see, we go through difficult times, and maybe we were like this. But then he takes a long time to accomplish something. Difficulties come. We go through battles, and we're war-torn. We're weary. And what are we looking for? Just a place to sit down. Set my lamp over here, and yeah, yeah, I'm running low on oil. I understand that. And you know what? Let's let out this robe for a little, okay? You can't just walk around with this thing all tied up around your middle. Untie this. Sit down. Maybe just close my eyes for just a few minutes. How is your spiritual life functioning? Remember how I I said this message is first and foremost for me. As a leader, I have no option but to have my waist girded and my lamp burning. How can I lead anyone? If my lamp is out and my robe is down as I'm tripping, as I'm trying to say, oh, yeah, follow me as I follow Christ, face first in the mud, gird your loins. Is your lamp burning? Stand, therefore, having your loins girt about with truth and having on the breastplate of righteousness. That's good old classic Ephesians 6. This is the armor of God. And what does it say? Most of us understand it as the belt of truth, sort of our modern vernacular. But let's go back into the ancient vernacular, and what is it? Loins girt. What is the concept? Wrap it around. Be prepared. to Strap it tight. Are you ready to run? Are your feet shod? Do you have your weaponry in hand? Are you in position? You have everything you need to win in this battle. But are you ready to win? You have the equipment, but is it on? Is it strapped tight? You see, it's not just the fact that you know intellectually that you have the equipment and that you're standing near it in a pile or that you once had it on. Oh, yeah, last week I I strapped it tight. No, is it strapped right now? Are you ready now? Being instant in season and out of season. You know what that means? Being ready. Loins girt, lamp burning. I'm ready. I'm instant. 
You are ready to respond when your master comes immediately. Not 10 minutes from now. Oh, good, you're coming. All right, I just need to go in and get my lamp and and girt my loins. That's not what you do. You do this long before he comes. You are ready when he comes. Gird, girt, and girded. It means to strap tight. That which must be done to ready a man for extreme exertion. So what does God say? Are you, do you have the, the girding going on? Have you, have you girt uh, yourself today? And are you girded? Okay, these are our words, and you'll see them all throughout the Bible. The three girdings of Scripture. First, Christ was girt for the cross. Isn't that a strange statement? You know that he was readied? He was prepared? The lamb was prepared for sacrifice. You know that Christ was girded, that his loins were girded, and he was ready? The time had come. The hour had come, and guess who was ready for it? The Son of Man, the Son of God, Jesus Christ, the Messiah. Isn't that a strange thought to think that God girds himself? Mm-hmm. He's prepared for battle. He's ready. He's ready to save you. Did you know that? It says he ever lives to make intercession for you. He is girt, and he is ready to do whatever is necessary for the saints. So this is the first girding. It's God. The Lord reigns. He is clothed with majesty. The Lord is clothed. Remember, that's the concept of being covered. With strength, wherewith he hath girded himself. Isn't that just a strange thought? That God's like tying this all up saying, I'm ready. I'm ready. I'm ready for battle. I'm ready to save. I'm ready to run. I'm ready to do the ministry of God. So, it says, wherewith he hath girded himself, the world also established that it cannot be moved. Second, the second girding of Scripture is we must be girt with Christ. We must be wrapped, clothed. We must put on Christ. I clothed thee also with broidered work, and shod thee with badger's skin, and I girded thee about with fine linen, and I covered thee with silk. You know what this is describing? This is describing the tabernacle in the Old Testament. And God is using this language, and all the Israelites are like, what is he talking about? What does he mean he covered us? But then in the New Testament, we recognize that we are the tabernacle, that we are the temple, and that this temple was covered, well, the tabernacle was covered with badger skin. This is actually what it was covered with, but it was covered by God. God himself has made the skin, if you will. He has sewn it together with the work of his cross, and he's presented this to us. It's called the robe of righteousness, and he clothes us, he girts us in it. He riseth from supper. This is speaking of Jesus. This is a profound statement. And laid aside his garments. Remember, he is girded. What's he girded for? To serve us. To help us. And so what does he do? This is the work of the cross enunciated in a scene before the cross even happens. He rises rises from supper and lays aside his garments. He takes a towel and girds himself. After that, he pours water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel wherewith he was girded. He has something. He has prepared himself. And what he has prepared himself with, he washes us with it. Now look at this scripture. And righteousness shall be the girdle of his loins, and faithfulness the girdle of his reins. What is he wrapped around himself that he's washing us with? His righteousness and his faithfulness. I'm going back to this previous scripture. Just look at this. And he began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel wherewith he was girded. 
Go back to the Old Testament and say, what towel is he girded with? What is his girding? What did he wrap himself in? It actually says in Isaiah, and righteousness shall be the girdle of his loins, and faithfulness the girdle of his reins. What has he prepared himself to give us? He's prepared to give himself, give us his righteousness. He's washed us with it. He gave us his faithfulness so that we have something to believe in. He is perfectly faithful. He has given us that which we need. So first, God is girded. And then what does he do? He girds us. He clothes us with his very righteousness. He washes our feet with that which he girded himself and prepared himself with. Third, our loins must be girt with readiness. So follow me on this. God is girt. He is girt with with righteousness and faithfulness. He is ready. He has girt his loins and he is ready with running shoes on to do the work of the cross. He's ready to come to save, but what does he come to do? To wash us with that which he has girded himself with. And he gives us that which he has. He gives us grace and he wraps us in his very life. He girds us. And then what does he call us to do? Now gird your loins. And we're like, oh, I don't know how to do that. I can't do what you did. He says, no, I've given you that which you need to obey. You see, I am that which you girt yourself with. I am that which will supply the grace to be able to make you ready. Don't just look at the cross and say, that was a good event. That was important. And in that, I have salvation. In that, you have everything you need to be able to be girt and ready for battle. And the hand of the Lord was on Elijah. Now, here's the way I picture Elijah as an, as an elderly man. Now, technically, we don't know that he's an elderly man. But all the pictures that we grow up with, he has a long white beard. And we know he's just about to be taken up into a chariot of fire into heaven. Okay? So we picture he must have lived a long life. So I like the mental picture of the long gray beard and a man who usually walks around with a cane. Because what it says is, the hand of the Lord was on Elijah. What happens when the hand of the Lord is on you? Well, and he girded up his loins. So he literally ties up that robe and ran before Ahab to the entrance of Jezreel. Ahab's on a chariot. And and Elijah outruns him. An elderly man, the hand of the Lord goes, kaboom. And girts Elijah to actually sprint and run ahead of the chariot of Ahab. Isn't that a great picture? Stand, therefore, having your loins girt about with truth and having on the breastplate of righteousness. You see, this is the command that flows out of Christ being girt. Then him girting us in himself, clothing us, encompassing us with a shield. He clothes us in his robe of righteousness, stitched with his very blood work. And then he enables us and he says, he commissions us, put on the armor, dress in my grace, Everything I've made available to you, gird up your loins and be ready for battle. And he gives us that commission in Ephesians 6. So what are we being girt for? Well, to be ready to run. This is the classic understanding. I mean, you tie this whole thing, and I don't know how big it was. I, my mental picture of it is, is not very good. I just have this huge thing, you know, that I'm picturing. And maybe it was tight, just a knot over here. I don't actually know. I I haven't ever done it. I just am using my imagination here. But you're ready to run. You're ready to climb. You're ready to leap. You're ready to lunge. You're ready to wrestle. You're ready to fight. You're ready to do whatever trial may come. 
You're ready for whatever trial might come. No matter what athletic challenge may come, you're girt and you're ready at any juncture. You are ready to do the work that you must do. Yes, but what are we really being girt for? Is that what Jesus came to give us is so that we could run better? It's so that, you know, we could win at Olympic games. They're like, how do you do it? Well, I'm girt. Uh, you know, I, I, you see this? I just tied this all up here. And they're like, oh, just makes so much sense. You see, what are we really being made ready for? It's not just so that we can run. It's not so that we can leap and jump. We're being prepared for spiritual matters. To be ready to share the gospel. To be ready to give answer for the hope we have within. To be ready to defend the truth. To be ready to rescue the weak. To be ready to give up everything for the sake of Christ. To be ready to suffer for the glory of our King. To be ready to bear a cross. To be ready to be stripped. To be ready to be scourged. To be ready to be crucified. To be ready to die that the testimony of Christ's love might be proclaimed. Where are we at? Are we ready for that? We may esteem those behaviors, but are we ready for them? Gulp. You see, this is Christianity. When the master comes, is he going to find you ready? He came to Paul and he says, it's time. The race is finished. Paul was decapitated. His head was lopped off and Paul was ready. Peter, the time came. Peter knew it. It was his end. He had run the race. He had finished the course. And Peter was crucified upside down, but he was ready. Ignatius was told he was going to be fed to the lions. This is the man who was discipled by the apostle John. He was going to be fed by the, to the lions the next day. He rejoiced. Hallelujah. Uh, what's wrong with you, Ignatius? He says, my salvation has finally come. Guess who's standing there with loins girt and the lamp ready? He's like, I've been waiting for this day. He was ready for it. Are we? So, and even more specifically, what are we being girt for? So, you see, we can talk in broad strokes of being ready to die a martyr's death, to be stripped, to be scourged. That might not be exactly what it looks like for us on a daily basis. What are we being made ready for? When he says, gird your loins, is he just talking about being ready for martyrdom? To be ready if our God asks to wake up at 3 a.m. and pray, and pray like we've never prayed before. I don't know how many of you have ever been up for a 3 a.m. prayer time. Usually your robe is not girt at that time of the morning. Is that a safe way of saying it? It's like you are not at a point of strength with lamp burning. However, are you ready even in the night seasons when you're sleeping great? And God gives, gives rest. He really does. He loves to give good sleep to us. But are you ready to be awakened with a little nudge of the Spirit of God? <clears throat> and you're like, yes, Lord. And he's like, loins girt? Uh-huh. You see, we're ready at any time to be ready if our God asks to give up food for the day, for the day and fast. Food for the, the week and fast. But, I mean, maybe God in about a year when you sort of, you know, prepare me for this and we're like wanting to roll up our robe over a year period of time as opposed to saying, coming to God and saying, God, I need you to gird me up. I need you to train me for battle. I'm not yet ready. I feel weak because when these things are even suggested to my mind, I start to get weak need. Make me ready for what you need to be done in this earth. To be ready if our God asks to testify of Jesus Christ to a stranger at the local coffee shop. Or how about at the local park? 
Or how about on the streets of Fort Collins? Or how about over in North Korea? Are we ready with loins girt? Are we prepared and ready to be instant, immediate? Oh, you want me to share? Absolutely. To be ready if our God asks to give away our entire savings account to someone he shows us. He's like, you see that person over there? Uh Uh-huh, why are you showing them to me? Because, Eric, you know that that trust that I've given you to steward and to take care of? Uh But why are you talking about it? Are you ready, Eric, to do the work of your king? To be ready to expect God to ask. This is a fascinating statement. To be ready to expect God to ask you. Are you ready? Saying, God, I know you're going to ask me to do something. Lamp burning, loins girt. I know you're going to ask me. Are you to be ready to expect God to ask, to ask God to ask. God, could you ask me to do something? God, could you, could you commission me? Could you tell me, God, my lamp is burning here, and I'm just so excited to go into the darkness and shine light. And my loins are girt, okay? I, it sort of feels a little awkward around the middle, but I'm ready to run. I'm ready to do your, your bidding. I'm ready to go where you commission me. Please. And to diligently listen for God to ask us to do something that is not easy. Huh? God, am I hearing you call me to North Korea? I, I think I heard North. North. North Korea? You see, we're ready for the difficult task. That's not where most of us are at. Most of us are somewhere trying to look for a nice shady spot to just sit down for a little. And to unwrap the, the robe. And to just get a breather. And God says, girt the loins. Get that lamp burning. Ready, always ready. Examining the equation for readiness. I I think you guys are experts on this now. But GW plus BL equals RFAAE. Girded waistline plus burning lamp equals ready for anything and everything. That sounded good. Let your waist be girded and your lamps burning. So what's needed for a burning lamp? Well, scripturally, I could go into this because there's a lot that, that you can actually cover in this. But it needs oil and uh, an endless supply of it. Ben was threatening to uh, have as our final worship song today, give me oil for my lamp, keep it burning, burning, burning. Uh, but a lamp needs oil and it needs an endless supply of it. Where are you going to get that? Well, you don't have it, but I know someone who does. You see, when you are girt in Christ, you have access because of his righteousness to enter into what's called the throne room of grace where there's an endless supply of oil for your lamp. Isn't that neat? You see, God doesn't just say, girt your loins and keep your lamp burning. But he supplied us the avenue through which we can have access to a readiness and a burning lamp. So the power of oil in the lamp. Do you remember the, the ten virgins, by the way? The ten virgins, the, the bridegroom is coming, but there were five foolish ones. And the five foolish ones didn't do a very good job of keeping inventory or something on their oil usage. And so when the bridegroom came, they did not have oil in their lamp. And uh, it's a pretty serious story. And so when Jesus says, I want your waistline girded, and I want your lamps always burning. No matter when I come, you don't know when that's going to be. But I want you to be ready when, me, when I, as a master, show up. So the power of oil in the lamp. 
When you are clothed in the righteousness of Christ, when you are girt in Christ, and you come under that throne room of grace, did you know that there is actually something that is given you? And until you've actually received that something, it doesn't even make sense. It's sort of like, I don't think that's possible. You see, what we are talking about is a form of crazy living to those that have never tasted of the trueness of the gospel, of the realness of Jesus Christ. But if you have, if you've entered into that throne room of grace and you've received grace for help in time of need, you recognize that there is oil and it does keep you burning, burning, burning. It does give you everything you need for every challenge you will face. Eric, wake up. Would you join me in prayer? What does an oilless lamp do in that situation? If you are not ready and if your loins are not girt, what do you do in that situation at 3 a.m.? What's your answer? No. No. Of course, you say it more spiritually than that. Oh, God, I, I don't think that's you. I don't think you would do that. Uh, you know that I need my sleep. I got to bed at midnight. And you know I have a board meeting this next day. You wouldn't actually do that. And you're out cold again. You see, if you're not with lamp burning and loins girt, you are going to fall asleep. And your answer will be, even if you don't say it out loud, it will be no. But what if you have oil in your lamp? And you're actually expecting it. God, when are you going to wake me up at 3 in the morning again? That was really amazing last time. You see, what if you go to bed and girt your loins? I don't, I don't know what that would be like to lay in bed with this big thing around you. However, what if you go to bed even with expectancy? Like, oh, you never know. Even in the middle of the night. The middle of the night belongs to God just like the middle of the day. And so therefore, I belong to him. However, I am going to sleep right now. But if he wants anything from me, he can ask. Eric, open your wallet. Would you give that money away? Well, well that, that's all I have. What's the answer if you have oil in your lamp? And what's the answer if your loins are girt? You're ready. And so the answer is, well, absolutely. Eric, stop what you're doing. Would you go wrestle with Kipling? Well, that's an inconvenience when I'm trying to get my task list done. If any of you have ever had a task list... You know that the purpose of a task list is to check things off. Have you ever had it even where the previous day you had a task that you finished, but you still write it on that week, so that day so you can check it off? <laughs> sort of stand back and look at your checklist. So there I am moving through my day, and I have a couple more. And I know even in my budget of time allotment, I could get this done today. And very rarely has Eric ever made it through a task list in one day. And I'm about to do it. What if God comes in and goes, <clears throat> Eric, stop what you're doing. Would you go wrestle with Kipling? Well, I can't accomplish anything. I can't check anything off. If God, you'd put it on my checklist ahead of time, wrestle with Kipling. Then I'd be like, okay, it's time to wrestle with Kipling, but it's not on my task list. Are my loins girt and is my lamp burning? Am I ready to do what God is asking me to do? Eric, open your mouth. Would you give the gospel to that man over there? Well, that man doesn't look like he really wants to hear it. When you're ready and you have oil in your lamp, what's your answer? You might still gulp a little. It's like, absolutely. And you start moving, even if your knees are knocking as you're doing it. Eric, open your heart. Would you offer your home to that child? Eric, stop talking. Would you listen to what Harper is saying? Have you ever had it, especially as a father? I don't know what it's like being a mother. I've never been one. 
But as a father, there's just business to tend to. And so you could have, a, like, for instance, I was working yesterday on my sermon, and little Harper wanted me to draw some pictures for her. And you know how inconvenient it is to be trying to focus and maintain a flow of thought for a sermon, especially one like this, and have Harper come up and sort of poke at my elbow. Daddy, could you draw me a picture of a doggy, a sad doggy? <laughs> Harper, this isn't really the best time for Daddy. Daddy's working on a very, very important project here. Daddy, could you just draw me a sad doggy? And what's God saying? <clears throat> Eric, do you want to live it or do you want to just preach it? <laughs> so you want a sad doggy. <laughs> what are you being made ready for? Why, why do you think that ended up on my list, by the way? What are you being made ready for? To be strong and positioned in faith, even in the most dire, difficult, and darkest hour. You're going to be hit as a Christian. You're going to have challenges. You're going to be needed. God, the great employer of all these saints, is looking to and fro for the men and women with loins girt and lamps ready. Because I need someone, I need them now. Where are my men? Where are my women? Right now. Are you ready to be called upon at any moment? And God's calendar and his timetable don't fit into our American structure. I mean, 3 a.m., however, there's someone being tortured on the other side of the world. And guess what God is looking for? Intercessors who will carry a burden. And God isn't all concerned about us losing a little sleep because he has grace to make up for that. He just needs his men and his women when he needs them. Ready and in position. Remember, this is the title of our message. So we just talked about ready. Now let's talk about being in position. Gaining the position of faith. So to, do, to study the position of faith, one of the best pictures for it in the Bible is Elijah. Elijah had something known as a position of faith. There's a statement that Reese Howells makes that sort of has haunted many of us here as we've read his book. And he said, more prayer on that matter would have been a sign of unbelief. And so here, Reese House has been praying for weeks and weeks and weeks. And then he rises up and knows that God is going to do it. He's gained what he called a position of faith. And then suddenly he says, any more prayer on the matter would have been unbelief or a lack of faith. And some of us are like, what? How does that work? But it makes sense. I've walked through this many times where there's a point where I know that God's going to do something. And so to even pray about it anymore, it's like, no, it's already done. And some of you are like, how do you know that? Well, I prayed, and I prayed, and I prayed, and I gained something. But what did I gain? I didn't actually gain the outcome yet. I gained the faith for the outcome. I know that sounds strange, but that's what we're going to talk about here. You see, you're ready, but you're not just ready for anything. You're ready for exactly what God is going to do. And you know what God's going to do. Why? Well, you live in his presence. You're sensitive to your God. You know what he's up to. So you are ready and in position. So gaining the position of faith. A peek inside the prayer closet of Elijah. A study in the position of faith. It hasn't rained for three and a half years in Israel. It's a very dire time. 
King Ahab and Queen Jezebel are very upset about this, but they can't kill Elijah. Why? Because he's the only one that can turn back on the rain. So they're sort of having to play out his game here, and he says, call all Israel to Mount Carmel. And that's when the prophets of Baal needed to offer their offering, and that's when Elijah offered his offering. And he, Elijah made it very simple. The God who answers by fire, let him be God. So one of Baal or Jehovah? One of them's God. The one that answers by fire, let him be God. And so right after that, Elijah calls down fire from heaven. I know it's a great message in and of itself, but that's not what we're talking about today. Elijah calls down fire from heaven, kills all the prophets of Baal and of the grove. There was a lot of them, too. God has made a statement in Israel. And now, what is Elijah here? It makes a very simple statement. There hasn't been rain in Israel for three and a half years, and what it says is there is a sound of an abundance of rain. Well, guess what? There's no clouds in the sky. What's he hearing? He's hearing something by faith. He knows his God, and he knows what his God is doing. Oh, oh, God's bringing back the rain. I can hear it. Ahab could be standing there going, what are you listening to? He knows what God is doing. Do you know what God is doing? God is bringing rain back to Israel. Not just a little rain, an abundance of rain. And who hears it? His prophet, his man. The man with loins girt. By the way, that was actually Elijah, who was loins girt, running ahead of the chariot of Ahab. This man is ready. He's listening. He's hearing. Okay? Elijah went up to the top of Carmel, and he cast himself down upon the earth and put his face between his knees. So he hears the sound of an abundance of rain. He knows what God is going to do, so what does he do about it? He prays. You see, prayer is the vehicle through which God brings about that rain. Rain needs to come. How did the rain stop in the first place? A man named Elijah prayed. How is that rain going to return? Through the vehicle of prayer. So God gives an indication of what he's going to do. Elijah hears it with the ears of faith and says, aha. So he goes up to Mount Carmel, bends down, puts his head between his knees, and begins to cry out to God for the return of rain to Israel. So, and said to his servant, go up now and look toward the sea. And he went up and looked and said, there is nothing. So then he turns to his servant, and I'm massively condensing this story, turned to his servant and says, go check and see if the rain has come. And so his servant goes out and checks, and guess what? Clear blue sky. Comes back to Elijah and says, there's nothing. Now, most of us right at that point would give up praying and go, well, obviously it's not God's will to return rain to Israel. However, what does Elijah do? He bends back down into prayer position and prays. Gets back up, says to his servant, go check. His servant goes, no, nothing. Comes back, says there's nothing. And Elijah prays. Go again. Nothing. Comes back. There's nothing. Elijah prays. Gets up. Go check. Seven times. And he said, go again. Seven times. And it came to pass at the seventh time that he said, behold, there arose a little cloud out of the sea like a man's hand. And he said, go up, say unto Ahab, prepare thy chariot and get thee down. The rain stop thee not. Okay, now let's just get into the logic of this. It hasn't rained for three and a half years. Elijah knows that rain is coming. However, All the servant has seen is a little teeny cloud. And what does Elijah do? Get this. This is very strange, but he stops praying. You see, 
any more prayer on the matter is not needed. What has happened is God has sealed it in the natural realm that it's done. However, it takes just as much faith for Elijah to rise up and make that statement as it did for him to get down in prayer position. He knows what God is doing. All right, the rain is coming. Tell Ahab to get into his chariot and get down. Otherwise, the rain will stop him because a mighty downpour is coming. Could you imagine his servant? Uh, Clear blue skies, just a little cloud. And Elijah says, black clouds coming. Abundance of rain. Move! Oh, and there was a great rain. You see which came first? Faith. The actions of faith. Ahab had to gain his position. Then came the rain. When do you kneel in faith and when do you rise in faith? This is one of the key questions, and this may be a bit above where some of you are at in your spiritual life. However, it's a key question. There's a time you need to kneel down and pray, and there's a time when you need to rise up and believe. How do you know the difference between the two? Well, let's look at this story. There's two key misfires in the labor of faith. One is assuming prayer is unnecessary to bring the purchase of the cross to this earth. If God wants to do something to this earth, he can do it. He doesn't need me praying. It sounds very spiritual, I know. However, God himself says, this is how you pray. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. For whatever reason, he's assigned us to be the vehicles, the houses of prayer for all nations, known as the temple of God, to see that which is purchased on the cross be revealed in this earth. That's his choice. So that's one mistake that we oftentimes make, is we assume prayer is unnecessary. The second one is assuming prayer is still needful when the position of faith is already gained. I've had moments where someone says, we need to pray. And it's actually very awkward because it's like, no, we don't. Doesn't that sound like a very unspiritual statement? We don't need to pray right now. We need to walk in our position. It's already done. It's already gained. I know that sounds completely bizarre. However, you still may need to pray to gain the position. However, I know where I'm standing. I know what God's going to do. Watch. Breaking down the labor of faith into its parts. So first there is the hearing or the discerning of God's agenda. There is a sound of an abundance of rain. The second is the bending, knowing that God's agenda can only be accomplished via prayer. If you know what God wants to do in this earth, say you knew that God wanted to bring a revival to the country of America. Well, what should you be doing then? If you heard the sound of that abundance of rain, what should you be doing? You should be bending on Mount Carmel. You should begin to pray until what? Until the first sign of the little cloud shows up. I don't know that we've had that cloud yet. I think we still need to be praying. I think we need to be praying for the return of rain to Israel. Elijah went up to the top of Carmel and he cast himself down upon the earth and put his face between his knees. Now you have the watching. As you are praying, there's also that one part of you that is sending out a scout to say, anything? Anything? Because you're expectant. You see, if you're praying and you're not watching, guess what? That means you're praying as a duty. You're not praying actually because you believe God will answer. But the watchfulness is saying, I know he's answering. Where's the cloud? Where's the cloud? And you're always looking for the evidence in this natural realm. So you're seeking the breakthrough in the natural realm. And said to his servant, go up now. Look toward the sea. And he went up and looked and said, there is nothing. The persistence. 
Very, very rarely in our spiritual life are we not called upon to be persistent in our faith. You bend and you stay bent until that little cloud shows up. Until the sign in this natural realm demonstrates that your prayers have broken through and there is an established, under, there is an established response from the heavenlies. So wrestling until the breaking of day. And he said, go again seven times. The witness the initial evidence that the prayer work is finished. You know how much faith it takes to just have a little cloud in the sky and then to have God say, it's done. Or, or God, couldn't you make it like really black and stormy and I could hear some thunder and see some lightning? Then I'll know you're going to do it. Instead, what does Elijah say? Go tell Ahab. Oh, you don't want to ever go public with these things. Go tell. Go tell everyone it's coming. That's some serious faith. And most of us are like, well, yeah, I mean, that, that's not hard if you're Elijah. Elijah was built out of the same stuff we are. We are built to do this. This is the prayer closet of the mighties. This is how it's always worked. Behold, there arose a little cloud out of the sea like a man's hand. Now, the position. What was gained? First he heard, then he bent. Then he looked. Then he persevered. Then he established a position because something broke through. The witness in this natural realm has come. And now he rises up in the position. Girded in position, guess what happens next? And he said, go up, say unto Ahab, prepare thy chariot and get thee down that the rain stop thee not. What happens next is what's known as the rain, the inevitable outcome of real working faith. And there was a great rain. Not just a rain, there was a great rain. The position of faith is always after the test of faith. Okay, this is very important. The position of faith is always after the test of faith. If you don't have a test of faith, you don't have a position for it. At the trial of your faith, being more, much more precious than that of gold that perishes, though it be tried with fire, might be found into praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus. For when God made promise to Abraham, because he could swear by no greater, he swore by himself, saying, Surely blessing I will bless thee, and multiplying I will multiply thee. And so, after he had patiently endured, he obtained the promise. The way this could read is, after he had diligently persevered seven times over on Mount Carmel, then he obtained the rain that he sought. It's after patient endurance. That word patiently, I think we're going to go through uh, here in just a, a second. But knowing this, the trying of your faith works patience. One of the things that we could do in our discussion today is position and patience could be swapped out. And we could call it the patience of faith. Or we could say works position. You see, what you are gaining is an immovability, a rock-like position where you cannot budge, be moved, or, or falter out of it. You are built upon a rock, and you are sure in your stance. Not only are you ready with loins girt and lamp burning, but you're not going anywhere. You are solid in your position. You know what God's doing. So here's our word, patience, hupamane, the brave, calm, and steadfast courage of the Christian soul. It means 
unbreakable and immovable, to remain unmoved, to not recede or flee, to stand fast amidst the most severe misfortunes and trials and to hold fast one's faith in Christ to the end. Knowing this, the trying of your faith works that. You see, when your faith is tried, when you go down on Mount Carmel and you say, God, I know what you're wanting to do, and I refuse to lift myself up from this position of prayer until now you're going to be tried. Because the sixth time, I mean, six times, go again. And he comes back, look, Elijah, there's nothing. There is nothing. It hasn't rained for three and a half years. There's nothing. Your prayer is meaningless. It's not making a difference. Go again. That's the trying of your faith. That's when you dig down deep into the well of grace that God has given you. And you say, go again. Go again. And some of you had said, I've already done it seven times. And what would Jesus say to you? Seventy times seven. You never stop going to the well of grace. You never stop persisting. You know what your God is doing. You know it. You already know what he wants to do in this earth. You know it. Don't be shaken by the natural realm. You must be ready and in this position. So instead of calling it the position of faith, for a little bit here, let's call it the patience of faith. So look at the patience of faith or the position of faith as demonstrated in the story of David. This is amazing. Remember, the position of faith is gained after the proving or the testing of faith. David had to be tested in his position as the king of Israel before he was truly ready to demonstrate the power and the anointing of his life in front of all of Israel when he defeated Goliath. And Saul said to David, you are not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for you are a youth, and he a man of war from his youth. But David said to Saul, your servant used to keep his father's sheep, and when a lion or a bear came and took a lamb out of the flock, I went out after it and struck it and delivered the lamb from its mouth. And when it arose against me, I caught it by its beard and struck and killed it. Your servant has killed both lion and bear, and this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them seeing he has defied the armies of the living God. Moreover, David said, The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear, he will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, Go, and the Lord be with you. So Saul clothed David with his armor, and he put a bronze helmet on his head. He also clothed him with a coat of mail, and David girded his sword upon his armor. And he essayed to go, for he had not proved it. He's like, what is this? The, the weaponry of this earth is not what I've proven. The one thing David had is he had proven that it's not by might nor by power, but by the Spirit of God. That's what he knew. And so he took off all of man's entrapments, all of man's strength, and he said, this is what I know. I know that my God wins the battles. I know that as the king of Israel, he didn't say this to Saul, I know that as the anointed king of Israel, when I go out to protect that which is entrusted to my care, that God will fight for me. That's what he knew. He had a position. And so he gained that position how? He gained it on the lion, and he gained it on the bear. And so when Goliath, a little bigger lion and a little bigger bear, came in, what did he say? I already have the position. Guess whose loins were girt? Guess, guess whose lamp was burning when he showed up in the Valley of Elah that day? You see, how are you arriving in the Valley of Elah? God says, could you bring some bread and cheese to your brothers? Like, oh, sure. 
and you show up and there's this big boast of a giant. Have you been proven on the lion? Have you been proven on the bear? Are your loins girt? Are you ready to fight? When he hears it, he's like, who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he would defy the armies of the living God? Hey, guess whose loins were girt? Guess whose lamps was burning? Guess who was in a position ready to do what the nation of Israel needed most? So he says, for he essayed to go, for he had not proved it. And David said unto Saul, I cannot go with these, for I have not proved them. I have not been tested with these. My position of faith is not in your armor. I have no confidence in armor. I have confidence in the Spirit of God. That's what I have confidence in because that's what's been proven to me. And David put them off him. Then he took his staff in his hand and he chose for himself five smooth stones from the brook and put them in a shepherd's bag and a pouch which he had and and his sling was in his hand and he drew near to the Philistine. I love that story. Ready and in position. Remember, that's the title of our message just in case you need remembrance of that. David in the Valley of Elah. This is an incredible picture of it. The girding of God. So first, God girds himself. Then God girds us. Then God says, gird yourself like a man. That's what he says to Job. Gird yourself like a man. You have everything you need. Use it. I gave you a sword. Pick it up. I gave you all of this. I girded myself. Then I came and left you a sword. I clothed you and gave you everything you need for battle. Pick it up. Uh-huh. That's how God spoke to Job, basically. And then, so first, the girding of God. Well, how was God preparing Israel? He rejects Saul. He rejects your flesh, your first man. And he says, you must be born again. I've chosen a better man, Jesus. He's chosen the second to rule Israel. And so first, he's chosen a better man. I will establish his throne. That's God's girding. God says, I'm ready for battle. I've chosen my man. Let's go to war. Then the girding of David. Remember, David, the ram's horn of oil is poured out upon his head. And it says, the spirit of God entered into David from that day. And David goes out. And how did he kill the lion? How did he kill the bear? How did he slay Goliath? It wasn't in a little boy's strength. It was in the strength of God. God came girded, picked his man. Then he girded David and made his man ready. He says, gird up your loins, David. Gird him like a man. Gird him like a king. I've put you over this nation. Though they have not recognized you, and though Saul will not leave his throne, you are the rightful king. When you stroll into the Valley of Elah and you see this giant mocking your nation, you rise up and be a man. So the testing of David's faith, well, that's the lion and the bear. Could you imagine the lions coming in? And I don't know how many of you would naturally, by instinct, sprint after a lion with food in its mouth. However, David has the spirit of God. And so he does the business of God. And when he, spr- when he sprints after that lion and he realizes the strength of God, when he's obedient to protect that which is entrusted to his care, what does it do for him against the bear? Now suddenly he's just like... No wild animal is coming in and touching my sheep. So the bear comes strolling in. He's like, oh, you're messing with the wrong guy. And his loins are girded. His lamp is burning. He's watchful over these sheep. And guess who ends up being a bear coat? And then guess what? 
He has faith that anything that touches his flock goes down. And guess who touches his flock? A big man beast, 12 and a half feet tall, named Goliath. But guess who's proven and ready? Guess whose loins are girt? Guess whose lamp is burning when he strolls into the valley of Elah? The position of David's faith, this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them. Ready and in position. Girt waistline. Check. Oil in the lamp. Check. Faith tested and proven. Check. Lock jawed and immovable in the position of faith. Check. Goliath is going down. Check. That's Christianity. You must be ready and in position. Don't just be ready. Loins girt lamp burning. You're aimed over here going, I'm ready. And God's like, uh, battle over here. I've never fought that battle. I don't know. I mean, that's a Goliath. I'm ready to get up at three in the morning. You see, God must prove us here. Build us strong. He knows what battles are in front of us. And if we allow him to groom us, we will be ready for the Valley of Elah. We will be ready. It's going to sound like a normal everyday errand. Go deliver bread and cheese. And God has a smirk on his face. But he knows you're ready. He knows what he's trained you for. And you've accepted the challenge. And you've been living with girded waistline and lamp burning. And so suddenly when you get into that position, you know. When you get into the Valley of Elah and you hear the boast, you know what your God will do. And you take a position, Allah Elijah. You take a position, Allah David. You take a position like Jesus. And you will not back down. It is for this hour I was called. Don't try and talk me out of it, Peter. Get thee behind me, Satan. I have a job to do. And I will not budge out of this position. Loins girt. Lamp burning. Hold the position. The position of faith. You know what you're here for. And you will not move out of it. The Passover lamb. Well, the paschal lamb is what it's oftentimes called. The lamb of sacrifice. The lamb who the shedding of its blood becomes a covering. So that the death angel passes over. And it will, it's a ceiling, it's a protection, it's a covering of all those inside that house sealed by blood. Does that sound familiar in light of what we're talking about? The Passover lamb is Jesus. He died on Passover. He is the lamb that was slain. He becomes the covering of blood. And anyone inside that house is secured from death. Death no longer has power over you. Isn't that amazing? But there's more to the Passover lamb. Do you know the Passover lamb? It wasn't just that it became a covering. Do you know what happened to that Passover lamb that night? It's not like they just threw it out in a trash can. What did they do with it? That very Passover lamb became oil in their lamp. You see, it wasn't just that it covered them. It entered inside of them. Isn't that an amazing thought? Listen to this. And thus shall you eat it. Speaking of the Passover lamb. With your loins girded. What? What does that have to do with eating some food? Your loins girded. When you eat this lamb, gird your loins. Your shoes on your feet and your staff in your hand and you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. Are you ready to move? God's doing something big here. He's delivering the nation of Israel. 
Are you expectant? Are you immediate? Are you instant? You see, you're about to take in the Passover lamb. And when you take in that Passover lamb, which we, by the way, take in daily, we live off of this meat known as Jesus Christ. His blood is our constant covering. And God puts it on wheels. And we we move it around. It's called the human body. Covered in the blood of Jesus. Clothed and girded in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. But inside of us is oil. Inside of us is the very life blood of that lamb. And we have everything we need. And God says, now gird your loins. Because we're going somewhere. We're like, couldn't we just stay here in Egypt? No. No, we can't. We're going somewhere. Are you ready to go? Are your shoes on? Yeah. Staff in hand. Yeah, where, where are we going? Where we're going, you will need everything that you're getting from me right now. Do you have a position? I don't know. I'm not feeling very comfortable about this. Where are you taking me? You know where the Israelites were headed? And most of us could say, oh, hallelujah, they're going to cross the Red Sea. It's going to be such a great thing. I think Miriam had like a tambourine and they're going to jump around. Yay! What happened before that? They were tested unlike they were ever tested before. In all the years in Egypt, they were tested. And that testing was just around the corner. Were they ready for it? The checklist for facing the impossible. Blood of the spotless lamb on the outside doorpost. Check. I want you to do your own checklist as we go through this. Girt waistline, running shoes on, staff in hand. Check. Spotless lamb in the digestive tract. Check. Proof of God's power and faithfulness seen him sustain us and protect us throughout ten horrible plagues. Check. Some of you could say nine, but I'm saying they're waking up the next morning. All Egypt is mourning. They have staff in hand. Substance of the lamb in their digestive tract. Shoes on. Girded waistline. Check. Ten plagues preserved. Check. Death angel passed over. Check. Is God faithful? Check. You see, they had everything they needed to be prepared for the next test. Are you prepared for the next test? Are you ready and in position? I'm not exactly sure that I can say the Israelites passed this test, but I can say that Moses did. Moses was a man ready and in position. Okay, this is, remember our checklist? This is just one of the things on the checklist. <clears throat> Indomitable, immovable confidence that though the mighty Egyptian cavalry may follow seek, seeking to destroy us, and though a great Red Sea seems to blockade us from, the forward, from forward progress, and though we'd be hemmed in by formidable mountains on either side without possibility of escape, uh, we have in our backpacks a lock-jawed, resolute faith that our God will make a way. Check! Though it is impossible... Though there's no conceivable way that we can get out of this situation. Though it hasn't rained for three and a half years. Though it appears that the mighty Messiah is dead. Do you have the lock-jawed, resolute position that our God cannot lie? And he has promised. Check. Are you in position? Girt waistline. Lamp burning. Lamb of God in your digestive tract. 
you have the living God within you. Oil in the lamp. Bear dead. Lion dead. And now you face Goliath. Ten plagues later, do you have what you need when you face the impossible? Egyptian cavalry is coming, hundreds of thousands of them. You have no weapons. All you have are sheep and goats and kids and moms and daughters. Not the easiest thing to wield a goat. You're a dead man. You have no possible escape, hemmed in on either side by tall mountains and against a sea on the other. And guess who has brought you here? The God who loves the impossible. Because the impossible demonstrates one very clear thing. It wasn't by might or by power. But it was by his spirit that this was accomplished. Are you ready? And are you in position? We as the church of Jesus Christ are going to face some obstacles in the years to come that make our little teeny obstacles of today, like getting up in the morning or fasting a meal or going and sharing the gospel in the coffee shop with someone, look like nothing. However, are we willing to be trained on the lion and the bear today? Most of us aren't too excited about going through plagues of flies and locusts and uh, rivers turning to blood. I, I want to be spared from all of that. However, you know what they will do for your soul? They will grow you up. Because what will you find? That Goshen, the land of Goshen, is protected. And anyone who lives in the land of Goshen is preserved. You know what? That though you have flies buzzing around, there is a preservation, there is a grace that is given you. And when that death and that darkness attempts to prevail over this earth, you are shielded in the precious blood of Jesus Christ. And you will not be moved. Not only is your house protected, But you have the Lamb of God living inside of you. And when you see that lion, you actually are excited to prove and to demonstrate what it means to have the Lamb of God living inside of you. Charles Spurgeon. Pray God to send a few men with what the Americans call grit in them. Men who, when they know a thing to be right, will not turn away or aside or stop. Men who will persevere all the more because there are difficulties to meet or foes to encounter. Who stand all the more true to their master because they are opposed. Who the more they are thrust into the fire, the hotter they become. Who just like the bow, the further the string is drawn, the more powerfully it sends forth its arrows. And so the more they are trodden upon, the more mighty they will become in the cause of truth against error. Give us some of those men today. The Americans say that they have something known as grit. We say they have something known as Jesus Christ. Loins girt, lamp burning, in position, ready for the day. Final scripture. This should sound familiar, but I want you to recognize the significance of it afresh. The term is immediately. And I want you to measure, if the clock was ticking and the moment God is asking you to do things, tick, tick, tick. I don't know what you define immediately as, but to me that's less than one tick. The answer is yes. Eric, will you? Yes. I didn't even finish my sentence, Eric, but the answer is yes. You see, it's the pre-decided yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. 
And I'm right there with you. Remember who I said this message is for? Eh, It's for me. You can borrow it too. I am made of the same dusty, weak, clayish substance where we fail in the day of battle instead of stand firm. And if I lean on me, I'm going to fall apart in the day of testing. But God is saying, Eric, sharp, ready, and in position. Don't, don't sit down. Don't set down your, your sword. Don't undo your girding of your robe and let it hang for a little. Don't set down your lamp, even for an instant. I want you to stand ready. You know that God gives us rest in our readiness? I know that sound, it sounds like a contradiction. However, God commands us to be ready. And he says, and I'll be your rest. I will give you rest. Do you trust me? But I'm commissioning you to not set down your lamp and to keep your loins girt. So you do the first thing that God commands you to do and you trust that he's going to supply you with everything you will need and he will make you lie down in green pastures and he will restore your soul. You will not burn out when you keep your lamp burning. You will stay sharp and you will stay sharp always. The flesh is looking for a nice spot to settle. However, the spirit is looking to stand in position and remain in position. Let your waist be girded, says Jesus, and your lamps burning. And you yourselves be like men who wait for their master when he will return from the wedding, that when he comes and knocks, they may open to him immediately. Blessed are those servants whom the master, when he comes, will find watching. Assuredly, I say to you that he will gird himself and have them sit down to eat, and he will come and serve them. And if he should come in the second watch or come in the third watch and find them so, blessed are those servants. Let's let's ask Jesus Christ for oil. Let's ask Jesus Christ for grace. We need something more than what we have. You probably felt that somewhere along in this message where you've been trying to like drum up a strength. I need to, I just need to live better. I need to do this better. He is your secret. I want you to freshly turn to him. To get up at three in the morning is not natural. I mean, there's these random people on earth I should, that love to get up at three in the morning. Most of us don't fall into that category. I actually am a morning person, so when I get up is early, but not that early. And I struggle in those early hours just like anyone. However, I want to be available to my king. I want my pocketbook available. I want my mouth available. Because when he comes knocking, it doesn't always mean just I need to open a door physically. I need to open my mouth. I need to open my wallet. I need to open my heart. I need to open my, my schedule, my task list. I need to open my life at any given moment. The master is coming and he says, are you ready? Girt waistline, lamp burning, Eric. I had uh, a little bit of my robe hanging down this week and my lamp was flickering. I still had a flicker. I mean, most of it was girt. And God said, ready and in position. Ah. Fresh oil, fresh oil. Before I give the sermon. God is going to give us everything we need. Let's ask for it.
Thank you so much for listening to this message by Pastor Eric Ludy, pastor at the Church at Ellerslie in Windsor, Colorado. Please feel free to make copies of this message, but do not charge for these copies or alter their content in any way without express written permission. If you have any questions, comments, or just need more information about Ellerslie, please visit our website at www.ellerslie.com. Again, that website is www.ellerslie.com. For Ellerslie Mission Society, this is Ben Zorns, cheering you on as Christ cultivates His set-apart life within you.